Let us now give our undivided attention to our brother Roger Lewis, who will deliver to us the memorial exhortation, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Brother Roger. Well, my dear brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, then, we come to the table of our absent Lord that we might remember him. And as we do so, we come to the end of these studies concerning the role of the man and the woman and their cooperation together in the ecclesia. And by way of exhortation, what we want to do is to give thought now to the responsibilities and the relationship that we may have, the one with the other, as we move into the kingdom age itself. Because when we come from the present life to the life of the kingdom age, there are lots of unanswered questions, aren't there, as to what it might be like and what the role of men and women might be in the future and how they will function together. Are there female angels? Will sisters still be in a supportive role and men in a leadership role? Will equality become the greatest principle or will there still be a relationship of hierarchy between them? Will diversity exist or will it be lost? And perhaps, brothers and sisters, not all of those questions can be answered, at least not completely, because maybe the scripture doesn't give us enough detail to understand in fullness. But I'd like you to come with me, at least to begin with, in, to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're told this concerning the promise of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, you see that word family there in verse 15. It's actually, in the Greek, it's the word patria, P-A-T-R-I-A. So it doesn't just mean a family. It means particularly a family that is derived from a father, patria, from whence we derive the word pater or father. And yet what verse 15 says is that there's two branches of this family. There's a family in heaven and a family in earth. And yet both parts of that family derive from a common father. So the common father is almighty God in heaven above and he has a family in heaven and a family in earth and those two, in a sense, are going to become mirror images of each other. And of course, well, the family in heaven is the angels. And the family on earth is the saints. And in order that we might understand what it shall be for us as, as men and women in the kingdom age, perhaps the best way for us to discover what it might be like as we work together is to think about the work of the angels today, to think about the work of the angels now. Because, of course, what they do now is what we're told we will do in the age to come. 
because Hebrews chapter 2 says that the kingdom to come, the age to come, the Father hath not put that time in subjection to the angels, he says. And if not to the angels, then to whom? And the answer is, why to ourselves? So there will come a time, brothers and sisters, when the angels will step aside from the superintendence of the affairs of the earth and will hand that responsibility over to the saints. So in the kingdom age we will enter into a, a whole new sphere of our relationship, the one with the other. But the best way for us to know what it will be like in that day is to look at what the angels do now. And then we might have a taste of what it will be like for the man and the woman in the age to come. Now come and have a look at Luke chapter 20 because... Well, here's a very famous promise, but we need to explore exactly what this promise might be and what the promise might involve. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, you'll remember this occasion when the Lord was asked a question concerning the resurrection. And although he answered the question, he also gave certain other marvellous details. In Luke 20, uh, when the question came concerning the woman who had had many husbands and as to whose wife uh, she might be in the age to come, Jesus said in Luke 20 verse 34, Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry. Now, do you notice firstly the wonderful balance between verse 34 and verse 35? This world and that world. And of course the, the, the word is aeon. This age and that age. And one of the great questions that we need to ask ourselves in our life and the truth, brothers and sisters, is which age do we really think we belong to? Do we really think that we belong to this present age? Or do we live as if we were members of an age to come? Do we live as, as people who live in advance of their times? Because that's who we should be. We are the Elohim of the age to come. So in our ecclesial life today, we should consider ourselves to be in practice for those angelic responsibilities of the age to come. We're not members of this age, we're members of that age. And if we're members of that age, then we need to be careful about what we're doing in this age and how involved we are in this age. So the Lord says the children of this age do this, but the children of that age are different. And we should live even now as the holy ones of the kingdom age, the ones who will be accounted worthy to obtain that age and the great prospect of what that age sets forth. And what will that prospect be? Well, verse 35 says this. It says that they which are accounted worthy to obtain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels. So here's the promise, that one day we will be equal to the angels. So whatever the experience of the angels is today will become ours tomorrow. That's the prospect that the Lord sets forth before us. But you notice that he says two things. One of them is perfectly understandable, the other is a little strange. He says firstly that they never die. Well, we understand that because we know that the angels have immortality. 
So that those who shall be equal to the angels in the age to come, firstly, their bodies will be changed so that they have eternal life. And of course we believe that we'll have real bodies, don't we? That, that we won't become simply mysterious gatherings of gas or something like that, that, that the kingdom age and the kingdom body is a real body but it's energised by a different principle, that whereas the body of today is energised by blood, that the body of tomorrow will be energised by the spirit, that will still have real bodies, and they'll never die, because they'll be like the angels. So this much we can understand. But it seems a strange thing to say, concerning the angels also that they neither marry now why is it brothers and sisters that one of the great characteristics of the angels that the Lord reminds us of in Luke chapter 20 is that the angels do not marry and I think that there are two great principles behind what he says here because you see Genesis chapter 2 outlined two great reasons for the institution of marriage at the foundation of the world and the two great reasons for marriage were as follows firstly to experience spiritual companionship and secondly to produce a godly offspring and that what Christ is teaching in Luke 20 is that in the kingdom age when we become equal to the angels that one of those things is absolutely terminated and yet the other thing is greatly enlarged. Now just stop and think about it for a moment. You see, immortal saints cannot produce mortal offspring. But they cannot produce immortal offspring either. Because immortality, says the Bible, is a reward for obedience. And immortality as a reward is a grant that can only come from the Father who as the self-existent ale, he alone has pure and underived immortality and he alone has the sovereign prerogative to decide on whomsoever he will bestow it. It is impossible for the saints who are immortal to produce either mortal or immortal offspring. So there's no need to raise offspring. And if there's no need to raise offspring, then there's no need for the reproductive organs. So in the kingdom... We won't be the same. Our bodies will be changed. And I believe that in the change that will occur when we are granted the spirit body is not only will the reproductive organs disappear, but we will be infused with a balance now of the attributes of the male and the female which once we possessed in abundance but one aspect only. Now, in that change of body, so that in a sense male and female will not be perhaps such dominant ideas, will personality be lost? 
And the answer is, why no? We're told that we will see Abraham in the kingdom and David will be there and they will be David and Abraham just as they were of old. So our bodies might be changed and certain physical details might be different. But we'll still be the same people that we were and our personalities will be the same. And of course, this is the second reason for a change in the principle of marriage that we will no longer need to be married in the kingdom age and that's this. That the promise of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, is that the spirit of companionship that once we found in a marriage bond will reach out to embrace Christ and all the holy ones who are saints together with us in that day. Do you remember what Brother Thomas says in Elpis Israel? He says that the Elohim are a society rejoicing in the love and attachment of one another. Well, I think that the promise of being made equal to the angels is this, brothers and sisters, that every saint will feel the power of affinity with absolute oneness with every other saint in the all-absorbing mission in that day of fulfilling the Father's purpose on earth. And whatever love, whatever tenderness, whatever intimacy, whatever sharing, whatever closeness of spirit you have felt with a partner in marriage, if you've been blessed with marriage in, the, in, in this present life, that that will still be there, but multiplied by 10,000 times 10,000, because you'll feel that way about every brother and sister in the kingdom. And I think that when we come to that state, brothers and sisters, what need is there for the production, or what need is there for marriage itself in this eternal union that will be there in the community of the saints? We can't even enter into the greatness of that time. So I think that when that age comes and we're made equal to the angels in the kingdom, that probably our focus will not be on either equality or on hierarchy or on diversity they will seem to be in large measure principles that related to our present mortal life. But if there's one word that will characterise our activities together in the kingdom age, I think it's this, I think it's the word unity. That what our experience will reach out to embrace here, that the promise of equality with the angels here is not merely that we share immortality, but that we enter into the depths of fellowship and the incredible, unbelievable, indescribable unity that the angels have now will be ours in that day to come. So what's it really like then? What are they really like, these angels that work together? Because if we could just glimpse what the angels are like and their spirit of unity today, then we might have a taste of what it will be like to be together in the age to come. Well, I think we have a taste. Now, come and have a look at Jeremiah chapter 23. So let's come into the private circle of the angels for just a minute and see if we can sense their spirit of unity so that we might understand what it will be like for men and women in the age to come. In Jeremiah chapter 23, it says this in the 18th verse. For who hath stood in the counsel of Yahweh and hath perceived and heard his word 
Who hath marked his word and heard it? Now there is a couple of interesting things about this verse. The first is that you should, un- you should underline the word stood because that immediately tells you who this verse is about. It's about the angels. When you study the angels, you'll find that the key word for the angels is the word stand. And the angels stand because they're always ready to run to do the bidding of their master. They stand at attention constantly as Yahweh's ministers. They always stand, the angels. Whenever it talks about the angels, you'll see that they're standing ready at attention, ready to do the bidding of their master. Who hath stood? This is the angels. Now, you see the word counsel in verse 18. Do you know that the Hebrew word for counsel here, Jacinius says it means the intimate circle. The intimate circle. Rotherhams translates the word as counsel, not counsel, but counsel, as in a council, a gathering of a, a council. C-O-U-N-C-I-L. And the word literally means this. Now just imagine this, brothers and sisters, concerning the angels, because this is the real meaning of this word. It means a session, a company of persons in close deliberation, a gathering in secret to share secrets. What a word. This is the circle of the angels. And the question of this verse is, who has stood in that circle and felt the intimacy of that group? And do you know what the core value of that council of the angels is, brothers and sisters? Well, verse 18 tells us, they perceive, they hear, and they mark the word of God. And that's the guiding value of the council of the angels. That's what binds them together. That's what makes them so united. And if that's what the angels are like, then that's what we ought to be practicing towards today. We are angels in preparation. So our ecclesial life needs to become this circle. That just as there is a circle in heaven that are clustered around the Father and that they share secrets with him, the intimate circle of his trusted friends, as it were, of his trusted servants. So the ecclesia should be the intimate circle of those who perceive the word of God and who are guided by his tremendous counsels. And that should be how we feel in the ecclesia, that there is a binding sense of unity because that's the core value that brings us all together. Come on, have a look at Psalm 89. Now, here's that same word in the Hebrew in another place. And I believe that this passage, again, is about the angels. It's about the angels of God. Psalm 89. So what is it like and what do they, what do they feel like, these angels, when they come together in the circle of the Holy Ones? Well, Psalm 89 says it's like this, verse 5, The heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Yahweh, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints, the kahal of the kodesh, the gathering of the holy ones. Do you know that the saints of verse 5 are not the brothers and sisters on earth? The the holy ones of verse 5 are the angels because who is it in heaven that praises God? And it's not the saints, brothers and sisters, it's the angels. 
And so verse 6 says, For who in heaven can be compared unto Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto Yahweh? You see, what this is saying is that in all the circle of the angels, there's not one of them, not the greatest of the angels, comes anywhere near the greatness of God. They're all in heaven. They all, even they all, praise the incomparable majesty of the Father himself. These immortal holy ones. And then verse 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the circle, or there's the word, in the circle of the saints. Or as another translation says concerning that verse, a God who inspires awe in the circle of the holy ones exceedingly and who has had in reverence of all them that are round about him. So here is the circle of the angels clustered around the Father in heaven. They praise his faithfulness. They praise his majesty. They know that in all that circle of trusted ones, not one of them compares to the greatness of the deity that they worship and they praise. Imagine being in that circle. Well, we can't, brothers and sisters, because that's the circle of the family in heaven. But you know what the promise of the Bible is? That when Christ comes and the kingdom age begins, that there'll be another circle on earth. And that the Lord will be enthroned as the king in Jerusalem, and around the Lord will be another circle, just like the family in heaven, there will be a family on earth. And clustered around the throne of Christ now will be the saints, the circle of the holy ones on earth who meet in secret to to deliberate together with the king. That's the promise that we have. That we'll be in that circle. That circle of holy ones who will praise the king because the Son will be the manifestation of the Father on earth. And every one of us, although blessed with the strength of immortality, will know, verse 6, that none of us can compare to the greatness of the King upon the throne. And there will be a family in heaven and a family in earth and a circle of holy ones in heaven and a circle of holy ones in earth who praise the majesty of the King and who cooperate together. What will it be like in that circle? What will we do? Well, the first of Kings, chapter 22, tells us. Because here's what the circle of the angels does. We're told what they do. They don't just stand, brothers and sisters, this circle of holy ones around the Father. They talk with him. There is tremendous communication in the circle of the holy ones. And here it is. In the first of Kings 22, you'll remember the episode of Jehoshaphat asking for a prophet that might give them the feelings and the the message of Almighty God. And so Micaiah, the prophet, was brought forth and he gives his message in verse 17. The first of Kings 22, verse 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell that he, would, that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he, Micaiah, said, Hear thou therefore the word of Yahweh. And what he's about to say in verse 19 now is what Micaiah had really seen, brothers and sisters. This was the truth. 
He'd really seen this picture that he's about to tell us in verse 19. And what had the prophet seen? The prophet of God. He said, I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing. Who's that? That's the angels. Standing by him. And where are they? On his right hand and on his left. So here is God's inner circle gathered around him who sits upon the throne. Now do you know what's really interesting about this passage? What's really interesting is that we're going to find that here is Yahweh the Father in conversation with his angels. Now look what happens, verse 20. And Yahweh said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. Now, did the father really need to know that? Did the father really need to ask those questions of his circle of holy ones? These questions, brothers and sisters, are not for the framing of God's purpose, nor to decide on the manner of the execution of his purpose. This discussion is for the growth of the angels. This discussion is for the development of the Elohim as they communicate their thoughts before the Father. And one of the things that we learn from this particular story is that even though we might be granted immortality, that you see the angels don't know everything. They're still learning. Even today the angels are still learning what might be the best way to do certain things. So they talk to the Father. Can you imagine that? the circle of the angels talk to the Father about what to do and how best to handle something. Well, here it is. Look, verse 20. One said on this manner and another said on that manner and there came forth a spirit and stood before Yahweh and said, I will persuade him. And Yahweh said, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth. Now, you see, one translation says for verse 20, one suggested this and another that. So when the father put the question to the circle of angels, different angels came up with different suggestions as to what best might be done in this circumstance. Now what's really interesting about that is this. Do you know what that verse tells us? Here is unity of mind and harmony of purpose but diversity of suggestion and variety of approach. Isn't that interesting? Their hearts are one. Their purpose is united. But they still suggest different things at times to the angels. Now this should be our experience in ecclesial life as we practice to be the angels of the age to come. Because you see, the contribution of each angel would be considered, would be valued, would be measured would be heard and our ecclesias have to be like this brothers and sisters so that every saint feels that they have made their contribution that every voice has been heard we've got to learn to value and to respect each other so that when the ecclesia moves it moves together like the cherubim and that sense of unity is there as it is in the circle of the holy one So ecclesial life today 
is a God-given blessing that we might practice the skills of what it will be like to be in the circle of the Holy Ones around the throne of Christ. And there are decisions to be made because if you come to Daniel chapter 4, you'll find that that council of the angels make very dramatic decisions that affect the circumstances of nations themselves, as will we, God willing, in the age to come. So there are matters of decisiveness needed, matters of judicial decision. So of course the angels need to discuss these things so that they come up with the very best answer and it is the Father's delight to allow the angels to discuss those matters so that they might grow in knowledge before him. And Daniel 4 says that in the judgment that came forth concerning Belteshazzar in this chapter, it says this in the 17th verse, This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. Now, who are they? Well, the watchers and the holy ones are the angels. And the word here, the demand and the word of the holy ones, is the judicial decision that was made by the council of the angels. We're told this in this verse. It's the decree of the watchers. And yet, surprisingly, when you come to the 24th verse of this same chapter, it says... This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High. So in verse 17 it says it's the decree of the watchers, but in verse 24 it says it's the decree of God. So what happens is that the council of the angels discuss what ought to be done in this or that situation, and after discussion with the Father, they make a decision which is endorsed by the Father himself. I think that's what will happen in the kingdom of Christ. That the circle of the saints will be gathered around the throne and we'll talk about what to do in this place or that place. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, being given immortality and sent back to our local area, to America, to whatever part we come from, to convert the people in this place, the very place where we've grown up, to go back there. Imagine being in Jerusalem and coming up with the report to say, well, what shall we do? How do we overcome this difficulty? And to listen to the counsel of others as around the throne the matter is discussed and a decision is reached unitedly. This is the decree of the watchers. And once that decision had been made, brothers and sisters, all the angels applaud and all the angels agree because they are united. Well, that's if we're preparing to be the angels of the age to come. So that's the spirit of leadership, really, isn't it? What about the spirit of support? Psalm 25 says, well, let's have a look at Psalm 25, because just as the spirit of leadership will be there in the circle of the saints the intimates of Christ, so will the spirit of support be there in that time. Do you know that one of the key words, perhaps the key word of the 25th Psalm, is the word teach. It's in verse 4. It's in verse 5. It's in verse 8. It's in verse 9. It's in verse 12. This is a psalm about teaching. 
And one of the questions is, how is it that God teaches people? And the answer is this, well, one of the answers of the psalm is, well, we're taught in all sorts of ways, but in verse 14 of Psalm 25, the promise is that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now you see that word secret in verse 14? That's that word for the circle of the Holy Ones, the council of the angels. The council of Yahweh is with them that fear him. This is the promise of Psalm 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth about them that fear him and delivereth them. The promise of Psalm 25 and verse 14 is that around the saints, those that fear Almighty God, there is the circle of the angels in watchful attendance. And part of the means by which those people are taught in life is through the overall invisible superintendence of the divine council who take care of them. So I think that what Psalm 25 and verse 14 is teaching us is that one of the special responsibilities of the council of the angels is the individual care of members on earth. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be the heirs of salvation? So the council of the angels not only make judicial decisions concerning the nations, but they're responsible for the care of individual members one by one. Those that fear God come under the shadowing care of the council of the angels. Well, shouldn't ecclesial life be like that, brothers and sisters? Shouldn't our circles in the Ecclesia be so that each holy one might be cared for? And if we're going to perform that function in the age to come, then we've got to practice that spirit today because even though our bodies will be changed, brothers and sisters, our minds won't be miraculously changed when the Lord comes. We've got to develop those skills now of what it will be like to be part of that circle. Can we have a look at Matthew chapter 18 because that's the promise of the New Testament, isn't it? Just as much as the Old. It's not just Psalm 25 that promises that the council of the angels take care of individual members. It's the promise of the Lord himself who says the same thing. He says in Matthew 18 and verse 10, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now I think you've got to understand what verse 10 is saying. You see, I think it is saying that there is always members of the inner circle in constant attendance on the throne of the Father. But when it says that their angels do always behold the face of my Father, I don't think that that means that every angel is always there in the circle around the throne in heaven. They can't be. Because we know that they're sent forth on other responsibilities. They're sent to the earth. So I think that when verse 10 says, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, I think it means one by one as they travel to the circle and go back to the earth and travel to the circle and go back to the earth. I think that the circle is constantly changing 
as angels come and go. Now, why might the angels be coming and going? But to bring their reports. Their reports of what? Their reports on the progress of individual people that they are taking care of. Not that the Father doesn't already know. The Father already knows, but it is his pleasure nevertheless to receive from the angels regular reports of the progress of those that are under their care. And so one by one, the circle, I think, is ever-changing as angels come that they might say concerning the progress of this one or that one. It may be, brothers and sisters, that at this very moment that our own angel is standing in the circle right now to speak concerning us. Oh, that we could see that angel and know that they were there. How might our lives be changed, brothers and sisters, if we knew that every day as we walked that our angel was there and that from time to time that angel will stand in the circle in heaven to speak about us. And I think that's what the saints are going to do in the kingdom age that will be sent to all parts of the earth, that will be given the responsibility of nurture and support to change the hearts and the minds of the mortal population. And from time to time it will be our joy and our pleasure to be invited back to the circle of Christ in Jerusalem to make our report. Can you imagine the sense of the joy that will go on on that day? As we all discuss the progress of what's going on and how gradually the world is being utterly transformed by the work of that circle of Christ's intimate associates. The family on earth will go about their business, I think, in exactly the same way as the family in heaven. That's what we've got to look forward to. But we've got to practice those skills now in ecclesial life if we want to be the Elohim of the age to come. Zechariah chapter 3. You know, really these references say nothing about male and female, do they? They say nothing about men and women. Nothing about lady angels and men angels. Just that they are the circle of the holy ones. And I think that, I think that that's how it will be for us in the kingdom, brothers and sisters, and that the overwhelming spirit will be simply that indescribable unity that that community feels as they all cooperate together to advance the Father's purpose. Have you seen the promise of Zechariah 3 verse 5? It says, I said let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord stood by. Oh, do you notice that? He stood. Well, of course, they always do because, because that's what the angels do. They're ready to do the bidding, you see, of their master. The angel of Yahweh stood by. And look what he said, verse 6. The angel of Yahweh protested unto Joshua. Now that's not a good translation because the Jerusalem Bible says he proclaimed unto Joshua. And Rotterdam's translation says he solemnly affirmed. This was not a protestation but a promise, a solemn affirmation, a guarantee. And this is what he said, verse 7. If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt judge my house and keep my courts, and I, I 
will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Now, who are those in verse 7, brothers and sisters, who stand by but the angels? Now, you see that, you see that phrase when it says, I'll give thee places to walk. The New American Standard Bible says, I will grant you free access. The Revised Standard Version says, I will give you right of access. Right of access to do what? Right of access, says Zechariah 3 verse 7, to walk among the angels. This is the Old Testament equivalent of Luke chapter 20. The promise is that if we keep the ways of God, that one day we will be given the right to walk with the angels and amongst them, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine that? Ephesians chapter 1. How will that happen? Well, Ephesians 1 simply says this. In Ephesians 1, it promises that in a time to come to be determined in the wisdom of the Father, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times the Father might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him do you know what Ephesians 1 verse 10 is promising brothers and sisters it's promising that there is a day to come when the two parts of God's family will eventually be brought together. The family in heaven and the family in earth will be joined together as one. Do you know when I think that'll happen? You might say, oh, it's at the end of the kingdom. Well, whenever it might be, I think there's a reason why it happens. You see, I think that, that we'll be brought together in the wisdom of God when our experience matches theirs. And that's what our life in the kingdom is all about. Is finding real equality with the angels. Not just because we've got immortal bodies like theirs, but so that we have entered into the fellowship of unity that they have and learnt the principles of standing in the circle of the holy ones. And when we've learnt enough, brothers and sisters, God will gather both families together in one, in Christ Jesus. We just have no comprehension, do we, of what will lie beyond that. I think by the time we get to, the, to that period of beyond the alarm into the ad, that we will no longer think of men and women and brothers and sisters and males and females any longer. Just of a giant circle of holy ones, the whole earth populated with men and women or people or angels or immortal ones, every one of whom stands so that they might fulfill the Father's purpose. In the words of a hymn, brothers and sisters, great Yahweh dwells alone. 
No equal can he see the unchangeable and mighty God from all eternity. Through realms of boundless space, his spirit works his will, and with creation's endless forms, the heaven and earth doth fill. Who can compare with him in majesty divine? Ye sons of God, the angels, his praises sing, who in his glory shine. And ye, his saints, rejoice his praises to declare, whose mercy calls you from the dust, their blessedness to share. For soon he will reveal himself in his dear Son and seal the covenants of truth and perfect all in one. We praise his glorious name that wondrous name of Yah through him who stands within the veil our brightened morning star